0: If you want to just tell the listeners um, where you're from and you f- feel how that, uh, the place where you're, you're from sort of influenced who you are and the people that uh, you grew up
1: My name is Rissa Ray and I'm from St. Pete, Florida. It is a little peninsula on the big peninsula that is Florida. It's also kind of a little liberal bubble in an otherwise pretty conservative state. And I'm second generation St. Pete native, which is rare for number one Floridians, but also for St. Pete. A lot of people move here. But my family's been here since the 60s. Wow! And my family's been, you know, on my father's side involved in like visitation and advertising and tourism. So I'm very much like a St. Pete gal. I have a lot of pride and in, in connection with the hospitality industry, just through my family on that side, and then on my other side, my mother's side, like mechanics and accountants. And my mother's she's a nurse practitioner. She works for hospice, so um, very great. You know, that's a very like deeply rooted part of people's lives here. And she's seeing a lot of her friends because their parents are dying. So, you know, people she's known since she was a kid, she's, she's helping patients and families through the death and dying process. So I feel like I get to see just through my family who I'm so close with, because I live here in this town where, where I was born and where they were born, I get to see like, the pretty side that advertisers show and then I get to see this very real side of like, the people dying. And then I work in health and wellness in general. I'm a time massage practitioner and a uh, yoga teacher and more recently been certified
0: as a conflict coach, helping teach conflict competency skills. And particularly how, uh, yeah, I want to hear a little bit about how you got involved with Thai massage in particular, because it's a, sort of an interest of mine and yeah, it's a little bit unique rather than just sort of the more traditional Swedish, Swedish massage. How did, how'd you get involved with that modality in particular?
1: So I, I went to school up North at Florida State University in Tallahassee, studied religion and, After my undergrad, I was trying to feel out like, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to go to grad school? Do I want to go to law school? What would that be like? Debt, stress, like for a certain end, but I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. My family's been in massage therapy. My father's sister's massage therapist, her husband ran the local massage school at the time. I was working a desk job and I was doing yoga after work and I was like, I like this yoga thing. I like this vibe. I'm like, maybe I could combine yoga and massage to help people. And so met with my uncle who was running the school and I was like, I want to combine yoga and massage. And he was like, that's already a thing. And it's called Thai massage or Thai yoga massage. And you could come to, the cortiva institute that's the massage school and get your license and then you could go to thailand with my colleague and learn thai massage and i was like done so that's what i did i went to massage school for a year went to thailand for 10 weeks he helped me fundraise so many people i love and even people i don't know helped me help help me do that so i've been to thailand three times total i'll be going back next year but It was so much more than I even imagined it would be. And it's not necessarily a combination of yoga and massage because Thailand has its own unique healing culture. Thailand has its own yoga. So it's not the same as Indian yoga. And I'm super grateful that I got to go to Thailand and immerse myself in Thai healing culture. Thailand's a 95% Buddhist country, so very Buddhist
0: well, but now that you mention that, though, in terms of the India, but obviously as you probably didn't know that the whole, uh, the Buddha himself was from India, and then he, then it kind of I got, immer- it so- blended with other cultures. and.
1: Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. so yeah, that's how I got into time stage.
0: Okay, so I mean, my, one of my focuses is about trauma, so how, so... Practicing time massage, do, have you encountered that you have worked with clients that have, that have suffered various traumas and ha- how do, what's, that, uh, what's that experience like for you?
1: Oh gosh, absolutely. I've been practicing time massage for eight years and so over time I've developed the words to use to help coach people through the felt experience of their body because it can be very vulnerable and confusing. And a lot of what I do these days is just validate people's pain and discomfort in, in light of their trauma. So they're like, oh, this is my bad shoulder. And I was like, what happened to it? And they're like, oh, yeah, I dislocated it like 10 times when I played basketball growing up. And I'm like, then of course this shoulder is shaped differently, feels differently, functions differently. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. And so that self-compassion comes in just by accept, by like being like, oh, yeah, all that trauma I went through reshaped me, of course. And then they can let go of this pursuit of perfection or thinking there's something bad and wrong with them. And then we just feel the feels together. And that's a huge part of Thai massage is like, now I'm going to push on it and move it around. And I know it's uncomfortable and I'm right here with you.
0: But what about in terms of more like emotional traumas? you find that, that, that the people that have gone on and undergone like kind of uh, like sexual abuse and how, how that experience is for them having, getting, receiving massage?
1: So because that's outside of my scope of practice, uh-huh. um, I, I've come up to it. And, you know, if even if just conversationally in the intake process or the greeting, settling process, stuff like that comes up, I've, I've provided resources even where I practice now there's mental health counselors renting office spaces um, in the same building. But one woman I remember was very, she didn't want her neck touched and, or she would brace when, when I would get close to her neck. And I found out maybe after a couple of years working with her, that her first husband had choked her. Wow. So I'm like, Oh again, it's just again, like, oh, the story there, of course you're going to protect your neck. So just a lot of compassion and and trying to validate people and, and if and when they feel safe enough or like some some history of their body comes back to them and they share it with me. It's just, I just try and validate and, and listen and speak. And Part of why I love Thai Massage so much too is there's a the meditative process for me. There's so many practices of making sure your ethics are in order and making sure you're approaching your, your client with compassion and, and people can feel that they can trust me in their bodies. So it's really an honor to be able to hold that safe space for them. And then at the end of the day, part of what I love about Thai massage, too, and my experience in Thailand and with Thai healers is they're kind of, they're very casual. And so they're like, oh, yeah, your trauma. And then they just kind of like send you on your way. And they don't make too much, too big of a deal about it. And so I've learned so much from that because, um, I don't know. One Thai massage master, he would say foreigners are so sensitive. And we really are. We're super sensitive to people disagreeing with us, to, oh, I'm not perfect. Like, of course you're not perfect. So the ties are just kind of like, yeah, no duh. See you later. And I kind of like that because it's taught me that I'm much more resilient than I realize. And I try and carry that casualness with me here with my own clients.
0: What about is, uh, you said you teach yoga too, but uh, have, uh, I know that it's been kind of a buzzword of sorts, like this trauma-informed yoga. Did you find that, uh, uh, I guess, what are your thoughts about that, about being a trauma-sensitive yoga teacher?
1: Hugely important, but I do think, and I've had some good conversations with a friend of mine because the trauma-informed Trauma, I'll put it in quotes, trauma informed teacher training program yeah. that she had experience with was like, don't use the word this to refer to this body part. And she's like, what the heck are you talking about? On one hand, I want to, the smaller the classes and the more individualized that a yoga practice can be, the better. Because your experience of your body is different than the person next to you. And something that might be traumatizing for you is not traumatizing for them. And it is up to you. I I just try and be really empowering as a yoga teacher. Like, you know, your body better than me. I'm not a mind reader and I don't have x-ray vision. So please take care of yourself. Here's some guidance. I can see when things are out of alignment. So I'll come up and offer some feedback, but if things are feeling too much in your body, you're in charge of you. And I just want you to know you could walk out, you could do something totally different. You don't have to do what I say. And so for me, more than never use the word booty or something like that, or I don't know what the, what word they were avoiding, which to me is kind of just like control in disguise. Right. So it's I don't want to be hypersensitive to people, but I do want to take the time and slow down and go slow enough that you can cater your own practice to your own needs. You can walk out the door if you need to. I'm not going to take it personally.
0: Okay. But no, but I found for a lot of people that are trauma survivors, they find yoga to be helpful in their healing. I mean, what, what's what's your, I guess, what are your views about that?
1: Well, for sure. So I had a. I had a studio called Moving Meditations, and was luckily lucky enough to have um, an administrative assistant who's a trauma survivor herself, and she shared her experience that some like seated mindfulness meditation actually isn't best for her because she she can go into, you know, reliving some traumatic experiences. Right. But yoga felt safer for her because there's some action. It's not just sitting there and then these thought, intrusive thoughts would come in. She's like, with yoga, I, I move and I breathe and I focus on the feeling and the posture. It, like, It gives you an object of meditation and that object of meditation is yourself and your own body and your own strength and the movement of energy inside of you. So... I learned from her and from some articles that she shared with me that wallowing in self-misery is not always helpful, especially if you have a history of trauma and are experiencing PTSD.
0: Yeah, we we mentioned about the meditation is something, and I agree with you in terms of that whole uh, to be careful about like everybody's different, and that that whole controlling aspect of things and prescribing people how to deal with things. I think that's important to be. Well, also but,
1: you're handing your power away to the teacher as if they're causing you to feel a certain way, right? But they're not. You're re, as adults, okay, and. Yoga teachers get 200 hours of training, all right? I, I respect and honor and admire therapists, mental health counselors, trauma-informed mental health counselors who do hold greater power in the therapeutic relationship To from what I've learned and experienced myself to help in like a reparenting process where you're holding that space and I'm matching your frequency and there is greater responsibility. But a yoga teacher, again, 200 hours. That is it. Like, please don't trust your safety and well being to usually a young woman with 200 hours of training in, like, what? Asana philosophy. Like, they don't do any ethics training in these yoga teacher trainings, which is why you get so many guru complexes. But right. They're not responsible. Like, of all the people who you're going to trust, probably not like sure there's some lovely lovely yoga teachers but you're an adult and you need to carry your boundaries with you into a yoga room
0: well, speaking of that you just made me think of this guy i don't know if you ever came across him that he, he had a big um following in del rey keith fox you you know him by any chance no, but, no i don't but maybe we'll lead into this other other kind of area that in terms of the whole kind of leading with the have a sex mo-
1: scandal too they all yes have sex.
0: Yes, exactly. You, yeah. This is a, yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, the guru complex.
0: Yeah, well, I'll bring it up since I think it's a good way to lead it in another topic in terms of the, um, using that to bridge to the racial part. But we'll start with the, this guy. And uh, I first came across him at, if you've ever been to the Yoga Journal Conference in Hollywood, Florida. I've there? never
1: been, but...
0: They usually have it in Hollywood, like Florida, not California, like every couple of years. But,
1: yeah.
0: and yeah, I saw him there the first time I went to that conference several years ago. And he wasn't as popular then. I think he had a little bit of some tattoos on his back. And at the present time, his whole back is like covered with a big Buddha on it. But anyway, he, he was offering this like free class to try to promote his teacher training program. at this other studio in Fort Lauderdale and I went to it and for half a second I thought maybe I would go to the teacher training but I I never ended up doing but but anyway but this was a couple years later and he developed a big following in Del Rey and I I never went to this is the only time I took his class the one time at the free class in Fort Lauderdale but yeah, he developed a big following and he's about 50 years old at the time. And then I heard in the news that, that basically he had this sexual assault charge against him that he, one of his students, was like 16, that he was having sex with and smoking pot with her and, and, and stuff. And I mean, the, the main point I, to bring this up is, is that's one the whole, well, there's a couple of points, but, but one of it is is that it kind of angered me at, at the, that. Basically, I saw that he, he basically was just on like probation on house arrest after this happened and uh and well, this g-
1: me off because the you these american yogis especially men yeah are well no one is trained in transference okay right. y'all are, i mean we get a little bit of that in massage school but oh, there's a power differential and sure. with that- comes greater responsibility 16 years old are you freaking kidding me like so wait well, he, he's 50
0: this guy's 50 years old but doesn't make it much better but uh no but, she was oh she was
1: she was 16 oh, come on uh, that's what i mean like a uh, 16 it's, it's, i mean yes yeah like that's that's more ridiculous because she's legally a child
0: yeah and
1: but even fellow adults are going to experience transference right. and idolize and want to get near to you and you you gotta know that that's just a part of the pedestal and that you can't get your intimacy needs met by people in positions of lower power than you like right. that's that's not okay and this isn't what we're teaching yoga teachers by the way
0: but but okay. but, the, but the other point why i was leading into the other topic is i was also thinking in terms of the whole the racial disparities that this is a white middle-aged 50 year old man and yeah i find if it was a if it was a non-white person teaching yoga to the, with a 16-year-old having sex with her smoking pot with her, probably the consequences would be a little bit different.
1: Well, Bikram Chodoroy is internationally a famous yoga yeah. teacher. Yeah, no,
0: I, and I saw the Netflix show on him, which is... Oh, God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think it's more of a men thing, just women, but, it's not, but that's not always the case. Women abuse their power too. So it's a supremacy thing. It's just people getting into positions of power with others' spiritual, mental, emotional, physical well-being, not knowing how great of a responsibility that is. And perhaps lonely in their own right and getting their intimacy needs met by people in – people that they feel safe with because they have power over them. Okay? That's not okay. (laughs) The race thing. Race and yoga. It's a big deal. Uh There's a great podcast called yoga is dead podcast Uh and it's run by two Indian American yoga teachers. And okay. So I teach yoga, but I really teach a blend of like mobility and yoga and much my, the tone of my yoga classes comes from my massage therapy education and my Thai massage education. So it's not, I am not a, I'm not teaching Indian yoga in the spirit of Indian yoga. not and there are many Indian American and Indian yoga teachers teaching real authentic yoga and they are not getting as much attention as pretty white women and that's a problem so love that podcast because they point all of this out and so it's it's also helped change my approach I teach three classes a week via a local studio called Suka Life and they're on Zoom. And, but my, I have friends who are what people of color (laughs) teaching yoga and I would rather support them and teach them and empower them because representation matters and we need more people of color and who aren't just, young and able-bodied we need people from all ability levels as leaders because that's super powerful as a student seeing someone like you knowing that they know how to move their body because your body looks like their body so i'd like to i'd like to just hand over the microphone more and more
0: how, are, how have you been able to teach how's it been with your massage practice with the coronavirus?
1: Oh, it's, it's stopped. So oh, nice break for me. Yeah, no. My teacher, Nefer Jacobson in Portland, Oregon, she lived in Thailand for three years. She teaches traditional Thai healing and she has very deep knowledge of traditional Thai healing that most people don't have. And part of traditional Thai healing is to not turn Thai healing into a capitalistic endeavor. So she and I were, I, I called her a few weeks ago and we were just like, wow, it's actually really nice to not... Turn this very intimate, sacred thing into a business right now. So it's it's just been really nice to to have a break because part of having it be my career here in the United States is like I have a website, I advertise, I answer phone calls, I, you know, it's so much. Everything around the practice itself is such a pain, and it's taken me so long to cultivate the boundaries necessary to protect the sacredness of the practice itself with all of this commodification around it. And I might not go back. I'm transitioning into other things. I mean, it's something deeply uh, meaningful to me and I'd like to transition into a teaching role. Before the coronavirus started, I was working on plans to take students to Thailand next year. We'll see if it happens next year or the year after. I'm really in no rush. But that's something that, again, I spoke to my teacher about. Like, you know, I don't feel comfortable representing this Thai folk bodywork practice because I'm not Thai. At the same time, I know more than probably 90% of Thai massage practitioners in the United States. Well, white ones anyway. But... I'm like, okay, maybe I can take students to Thailand. I'll do like a five-day intro course and then set them free in Thailand. Like now go learn from actual Thai healing experts. I'm a novice, but I'll be your bridge. Right. So it's, it's just hard being like, right, not only trauma-informed, but like informed of white supremacy culture <laughs> at commodifying other cultures, you know, like, Oybe.
0: But culture is kind of though. I mean, I understand where you're coming from with that, but there's something about like how I mentioned about how that you look at Buddhism. The, the Buddha himself was Indian, and then went to uh, then it blended with the the, the Thai culture, and, the, and I mean, this is kind of a natural process. I mean, I don't think it's all it's all bad. I mean, it, there can be some element. It just depends how it's done, and if it's sort of. I think consent is always very important. There's consent.
1: Yes. Well, so the overarching trend in both yoga and Thai massage, and those are just, I'm sure it's in other traditions too, but these are the ones that about which I'm aware. Thai massage. I learned in Thailand from a white woman. we traveled around for 10 weeks and she taught our group Thai massage. And I got to experience Thai massage from, from other Thai healers When I was there, and like that was, I was like, "Whoa, this is different," because she was teaching me a whitewashed version of Thai massage, whitewashed, superficial, and that's what's taught in the United States. That's what's taught in Thailand by white teachers. That's what's taught by Thai teachers in Thailand because they've sussed out that that's what foreigners want, and so they've they've curtailed their traditional healing practices to something that they can sell and sell to foreigners at a premium rate. And then it's reabsorbed into Thai culture. So you really actually have to dig to find authentic Thai healing because of this commodification for foreigners by foreigners. And then it it destroys culture. And that's what's happened in yoga as well. well.
0: well, I mean, like one thing I've thought about this a w- while back that, I mean, if you look at a lot of like a lot of the Buddhism that's taught in the U.S. are like a lot of the teachers are psychologists and it's like, yes, it, I mean, there are some positive aspects of this stuff. It's not always, I don't feel it's not always, it, it, it's not always negative, but and there's some, I guess it can make it a little bit more scientific and, and so forth. Yeah. And, and so it's not all
1: I'm all for, I, t- I tell people I'm a pluralistic purist. Yeah. So I love I love tradition. Well, I have a degree in religion as well. So like yeah. I love religions. I'm not religious. But I, I like appreciating flavors on their own terms, practices on their own terms, traditions on their own terms. And it's when we start blending them together that they start losing the things that make them unique um, and just obfuscating meaning in general. So I think that American culture likes to – um, commodify other cultures Oh, it, it does, it. yeah, 100% Yeah, and then in a way That actually makes them Kind of superficial and like magic Whereas, like you said There's actually, there's Buddhist psychology And it's very deep And it's, you could spend your whole
0: Well, that's life true, but what I was saying more Is that it, like a lot of, like a lot of the Buddhists in the U.S. seems like Psychology, it's also because A lot of the, the Buddhist teachers in the U.S. Are psychologists America.
1: Yeah, like Tara Brahm. Yeah.
0: Okay. This other guy, Mark Epstein. Hey, Jack
1: Kornfield.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: yeah. So maybe it's hard to tell, like, it's hard to suss out which part is Buddhist and which part is psychology.
0: Right. Um, it
1: becomes that person's teaching.
0: Yeah. Have you, um... I feel that way. Have you ever heard of Kashi Ashram? It, you're talking about reminds me of that. It's, uh... Very pluralistic in a a certain sense. And uh, it's in Sebastian, Florida. And they have, like, one of the cool things about it is on their campus, they have, like, a shrine for every major world religion. They have this little, like, man-made lake, and it's pretty cool.
1: (laughs) Okay. I'm all for, um, um, you know, diversifying your resources so long as you know where things come from. Right. You're not just blending them all together and then calling it something else and then you teach someone and they think it's they think it's yoga. I mean, even an example, the chakra system in yoga actually comes from uh the tantric tradition and the rainbow colors were attributed in the seventies by a, an American. So right. like those rainbow colors aren't a part of <laughs> traditional yoga. Neither are the psychological associations. Those came from Carl Jung, okay. but they've been reabsorbed right. into tradition so now people think ah this ancient system with these psychological associations and these rainbow colors and it's like actually this has gotten all messed up over the years
0: so what what are your what what, i mean i I know you have them what 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 are your take on the whole uh, what's been going on with the protesting and and uh, the 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 racial violence and stuff right now
1: oh i'm in it this is the modern day civil rights movement you know that We've literally had the largest numbers in history across the entire world show up in favor of these protests. you know that?
0: I, I'm not surprised, but that's, yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah.
1: yeah. Largest protests in the world yeah. ever. Yeah. That's all. So we're living in the modern day civil rights movement. We're at the beginning of it. I am hugely in favor of it because all of our issues are interrelated. Do you know Vandana Shiva? No. She's an Indian activist. Um, she's actually trained as a physicist, interestingly enough, but she's gotten involved in environmental activism. But in India, like she helped Vandana Shiva.
0: No. no.
1: So she has helped ban Monsanto from India, which is hugely important. Patenting seeds and then suing poor people for having your seeds on their property is just ridiculous. But environmental activism, poverty, individual psychological issues, white supremacy, patriarchy, domestic violence. These are all related. So I'm stoked to see so many people show up because so many people all over the world know and feel that our systems are destroying us and destroying our ecosystem. So and part, and it starts with, and this I heard in a Vandana Shiva interview, it starts with violence against minorities. And the history of slavery in the United States was we kidnapped people from Africa and brought them here and told them they were less than human and had them be human labor capital. I'm, I'm in it. I'm hugely in favor of it. I'm really glad that I'm not working full time right now because I'm participating in the best ways that I can.
0: How, how, how would you say that that is?
1: I'm excited because I...
0: How, how are you participating? What, what are the best ways? I mean, I yeah. yeah.
1: So for me, I'm sharing a lot of information via social media. And I am donating every day to some cause or another. I don't have a lot of money, but 10 bucks here and there. You know, we all do that together. It goes a long way. I am decentering myself as a white woman. So it's not about me. I'm just sharing Black activists, messages, voices, wisdom. I'm showing up. I showed up last Saturday at local protests here in St. Pete. I'll be there this Saturday as well. The mayor and the chief of police are marching too. And I'll be helping sign people up for mail-in ballots. That being said, it's funny. It's like, oh, the chief of police and the mayor are here. But I just saw someone share their experience. They weren't even in the protest. They were walking by. And then someone started setting off fireworks. This is here in St. Pete. And so police just started arresting people. And this guy got arrested walking down the street with his girlfriend. You know, nobody read him his rights. They detained him for, what was it, unlawful assembly. But again, he was like, they had dinner and they were walking to their car And got caught up in this. So, you know, he was in jail for 15 hours, posted bail, but he said that they treated him better than the black men who were arrested with him and right next to him. So it's like, okay, the chief of police is marching, but yet the police is still doing this. I'm involved with the democratic socialists of America and the dream defenders who are putting together a list of demands for the St. Pete police to, intentionally reinvest their funds into other social services and interventions which are statistically more effective than police intervention with
0: weapons. It's interesting when you mentioned the beginning I didn't realize that historically that St. Pete uh, was a liberal kind of a place I didn't know that.
1: Oh St. Pete has a hugely racist history huge huge People did lynchings on Central. Africa. No, no,
0: that that doesn't surprise me. But I didn't know historically that you're saying there's been a bastion of of liberal people.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so it's St. Pete's always been a place where people come to heal. Uh-huh. I don't know what it is about it. You know, it's a little peninsula, a big peninsula. Like I said, it's on the Gulf Coast, so calmer waters. We hold the record for the most consecutive days of sunshine in the contiguous U.S. So it's so a lot of sunshine, salt water wind, energy, and just people tend to come here to heal from what I've noticed. I mean, even the first official advertising for the city of St. Pete was about coming to St. Pete to heal. Um, Like big hotels in the area used to be sanatoriums for movie stars in the 1920s. But it's not all liberals. I mean, are you kidding? People who have a second (laughs) home here who, you know, they're from the New York area, Ohio, where else do people tend to come from? Michigan, you know, conservative people who have made money, hoarded their wealth, you know, fought for lower tax rates for themselves. They want a second home here. There was a freaking Trump boat rally last weekend. I was tr- taking my cousin to the beach. And all these boats with Trump flags. Most of them are not Saint Pete people. Those are right. those are people who live somewhere else, made their wealth, came down here, bought a second home on the water, and they take their boat out with their Trump flag. So there's a just like everywhere, gentrification is a powerful force. Um, we're pushing local residents out of their homes, and wealthy property management companies are buying up property here and raising the rent. And here we are at the beginning of a depression or recession, something. And people are being forced out of their homes and offices, closing up shop, going out of business. So
0: I mean, that happens. That's not really necessary. uh, Reflective of of the population per se.
1: Well, it's, we're very diverse here. Apparently, Tampa Bay, so St. Pete is a part of the Tampa Bay right. area. And the Tampa Bay area is the cultural ratios are almost identical to the national cultural and racial and you know, wealth ratios. So Tampa Bay is really fascinating to me because, well, Pinellas is the most densely populated county in all of Florida. And Florida's population grows hugely every day, every year. So there's a lot of diversity here. I'm grateful that St. Pete is more liberal. And that's what we've attracted. And that's what continues to grow. There's still conservatives here. There's still you know, the side effects of institutionalized racism, just like everywhere in this country. So but there's people who care and that's what I am proud of.
0: All right. Um, Risa, well, thanks a lot for joining me here. Any other uh, final thoughts you have? Or?
1: Um, just, I guess that it's, it's all connected.
0: I mean, I'm right. a huge believer of the whole intersectionality type thing. And how the, yes, all these, yes. all the oppressions are connected. I mean, I, I, mean, my kind of bias, I mean, people get it, you know, um, can be have their own opinions about this, but it all, I think it all uh, and the, to me the the kind of I guess foundational thing it's about that often economic e- exploitation for so the driver, yes. the foundational driver, and then the, these other things I feel are they're definitely related, but they're kind of they're they're really the the, the goal is about the economic exploitation explo, exploitation.
1: Yes, I agree. <laughs> And, you know, crime is higher where there's higher poverty, but we don't give the money to help fight the poverty. We give the money to police who punish impoverished people for trying to survive in any way that they can. So, and I know I, the people who need my work the most don't have the money for it. And I'm sure you feel the same way, but our individual trauma, are a part of these systemic issues and I think Americans I'm grateful for my time in Thailand because it's a more communal culture people right. take care of each other and here oh my god no you will walk over a homeless person on the street we do not take care of each other while here and so that causes individual trauma I believe but then we perpetuate that trauma through individualism and um, greed
0: yeah, I mean that, that actually reminds me of an ex- of an experience I had with a uh, Uber driver in Miami that was uh, from Cuba, and this is I forget if it was at the beginning when Trump was about to uh, become elected, or it was where if he I forget if he was in power or he was about to come to power, and he and he was he was basically he said he he can't really vote anyway he's not a citizen, but all like his family was telling him you know that the Democrats are gonna they want to be communist and that, uh, that, yeah, that we don't, you know, he anything that everything anti-communism. And then I just started talking to him about that. And he said, well, Then he was pointing out some of the things he doesn't like in in America. He says, well, in Cuba, if somebody was hurting on the street, people would stop and do something about it. And he was also saying about that he like. Like, I don't know that he does feel a little bit lonely here that like he said, like in, like in Cuba, that all of his friends would be like asking, what are you doing? And like, on the weekend and here, everybody's like, doing their own thing and don't really care. So it's funny that end the conversation, I was able to, to, to bring about some of the things he missed about Cuba that were to me, indicative of more of a collective kind of a mentality, but, but then... Yeah. But anything that seemed a little bit like communism here, he was, you know, like the Democrats, I uh, told them they're not really communists, that they want, you know, they support the corporate interests, they're not really communists.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, anyway, people, there's like hot words that people avoid, yeah. but for me, the, the most profound healing experiences I've had have mostly been in Thailand, but even if and when they're here they're usually in a communal context so i learn communal support from indigenous people and i think that as a white person in the united states when we're taught individualism and that that's just how it is and you have to fight for what you have and and you can't stop long you know and take care of somebody else like they earned their fate or something it's that's a diseased way of thinking in my opinion, and it's violent against yourself it's violent against others and but then yet we commodify these cultures that we like. we like to experience them but but as like an outsider and as someone who's just paying to sample it a little bit, but the most profound cultural experience I've had have been immersed and taken care of, and I think that we have a lot to learn from black and brown people and just indigenous people all over the world. And, and I, I'm participating in, in giving the power back to more just systems and creating more just systems together.
0: All right. Well, thanks a lot for uh, joining me. And I, yeah, hopefully, this uh, there will be. I mean, it seems like things. I mean, I agree. I haven't seen this this kind of a response to this. I mean, it's been an issue that's been going on for a while. The the police violence, but I've never seen this many people uh, standing up uh, for for what's right. Uh, I know. I'm
1: excited. I'm in it, man. <laughs> Thank you for interviewing me. Thank
0: you. I'll well, have a nice have a nice one. Uh... Thank you. You too. Also, right. I'll catch you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.